that I'm not Jennifer Durham. Um, Jennifer went to the emergency room yesterday morning because she had lost her voice and, uh, and other stuff. And talk. So I actually came in and started working on this message. And, uh, and then yesterday afternoon, she was fine, so she was back on. So... Uh, and then at 1 a.m., she had a relapse, and, and so I got a call very, very early this morning saying it wasn't going to happen this week. I, I believe that there's some warfare around that. I, I believe Jennifer has a word for us. I believe the lion needs to roar. Um, so we're just postponing it to next, to next week. So she's still on next week. Um, So, clearly, I need prayer today. <laughs> so, we've been doing a series called Silent Wonder. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Matthew chapter 2. We're going to talk about the silence of the stars today. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. It's from Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country By another route. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. We pray your healing on Jennifer this morning. Lord, we want to hear your voice through her. Lord, this morning, things are a little disheveled. Um, And Lord, sometimes in our weakness, you speak the most clearly. So we just pray, God, that you would have your way here today. We will give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) 
So the title of the message this morning is The Silence of the Stars. I want to talk first about the way that God speaks. Just because we do not hear does not mean that God is not speaking. This is a very important principle in Scripture. Let me read to you Job 33. Why do you complain to him that he responds to no one's words? For God does speak, now one way, now another, though no one perceives it. So God can be speaking, and you just be convinced that he, that he hasn't spoken, that you've prayed, you've asked, and there's been no response when the truth, the reality can be, God has been speaking, but you haven't perceived it. You haven't looked for it. This is, it's, it's just critical that we understand God's a little different than us. We want to be heard. And if it's in our power to make ourselves heard, we would go out of our way to make you hear, to sit you down, to listen to what I'm saying. And if that's how, if, that's, if we were God, we, we won't do it the way that he does it. He speaks one way and then another, though people do not perceive it. God gives grace to the humble and to the hungry. Human pride demands that God speak louder. Humility and hunger draw close so they can hear what is being whispered. (laughs) We think it's just about us knowing what God wants us to do and us doing it. Mm, That's part of it. But for God, it's about relationship. For God, it's not about you just getting information so you can do what you're supposed to do. It's about relationship. He wants you to come close. He wants you. You hearing is part of what God gets out of this. You getting close enough where where he's whispering and you value that so much that you're willing to adjust your life, adjust your pride, adjust what you have been pursuing and draw near and, and seek out what God is saying is part of the process. And then when you do hear, even then, it's not going to be you doing it now. It's going to be you guys doing it together. God doesn't want you to do stuff for him. He wants you to do stuff with him. This is about relationship. So what was God speaking in the stars? The Magi, and I've developed this on other occasions, were, were, they were the spiritual descendants of Daniel. 
They're from the east. Most scholars believe they're from Babylon. They, they have exposure to Daniel, the greatest prophet that gave the most direction about Messiah and about what was going to happen was Daniel. And he's been 100% correct. They, they are listening. Daniel gave the time Messiah will appear. This anointed one, this king to whom all the nations are, are to worship. And they are, they are waiting. It is about time. And they see something in the stars that grabs their attention. It is a time in the Roman Empire where, ironically, there is an empire-wide census being taken which we have from four historical and archaeological um, sources, there's an empire-wide census to celebrate Augustus's 25th year. It's his silver anniversary coming up in 2 BC. He was made Augustus in 27 BC. He was, Rome was always a republic and it was Mark Antony and Octavius for many years and then there was the battle at Actium that Octavius won. And then in 27 BC, the Roman uh, Senate made him Augustus. They gave him Augustus as a title. It means majestic one, increasing one. It basically means king. They made him king. Rome changed from a republic to a monarchy in 27 BC. The 25th anniversary is coming up in, in his own records. He was granted it in uh, February 9th, 2 BC. But the census that was empire-wide, and it was not for taxes, it was a pledge, an oath to Caesar, an oath to Augustus of obedience and allegiance, and everybody was in on it, including Israel. Josephus tells us they were part of this oath. And it's about him being the king. And, uh, And at the very same time, some things start happening in the stars in, in, in the past and on my the puzzle of Christmas history. I've got the whole video thing from Dr. John Mosley, who is a doctor of astronomy from Madison, actually. Um, the whole thing of what happened in the stars, it's on uh, MSN, NBC, um, Star of Bethlehem, if you want to see the whole thing. But here's, here's the long and the short of it. August 12th. 3 BC, Jupiter and Venus come together in a conjunction. From from human standpoint, it looks like they're one star in the constellation of Leo. Leo was the lion. Leo was always the constellation of Judah. And it is this, uh, this coming together of Venus and Jupiter in uh, inside of Leo, and, and that would just only spur a question, is it possible that, that this is the time? September 14th, February 17th, May 8th, three times Jupiter, the king, the king planet, the king, they didn't call them planets in those days. The, the word planet is from the Greek, and it means wandering star. There were two types of stars. There were fixed stars, and there were wandering stars. Jupiter was the king of the wandering stars. Jupiter, 
three times, and I gave you the three dates, goes past Regulus. Regulus is the second brightest star in the sky. It is the brightest in Leo. It means the king. It is the king of the fixed stars. Jupiter is the king of the wandering stars. Jupiter goes past and has a conjunction with Regulus once, then it comes to the other side, and and there's something called retrograde motion, which makes it look like planets go backwards. (laughs) From our perspective, there's an explanation for it. Go to Dr. John Mosley's site. Um, uh, Conjunction with Regulus goes past it, stops, comes back to Regulus a second time, goes past it, stops, comes past. There is a triple conjunction, three conjunctions between the king of the wandering stars and the king of the fixed stars. Their attention is full on. And then on June 17th, 2 BC, the most astonishing conjunction in recorded history, and they can go back and see the skies. There was never anything like this. Jupiter and Venus came together right next to Regulus, but this time it was almost an exact conjunction, which if you see, you see it on Dr. John Moses, all of a sudden the, star, the sky would just go whoop, and this one It appeared to be one star was astonishing. And I I actually believe that's what got them moving towards Bethlehem. This is it. This is it. God is speaking. When God speaks by something in nature or something in your life, What it is, is it's like the burning bush. We think that anybody would stop to see a burning bush. Well, actually, bushes burn all the time in the Middle East. It's very hot, it's very dry, and it's not that big of a deal for a a bush to start burning. What was interesting about the burning bush is that it it wasn't consumed. It kept burning, and it, it wasn't consumed. Moses actually had to stop and observe that and say, huh, huh. It's burning, that's not unusual, but it's not burning up. And he had to take some time to contemplate that. And then it says that he turned aside to look at this really wonder. And do you know that it's only then that God started speaking? He didn't come to the burning bush because there was a voice coming out of it. It was a wonder that grabbed his attention that caused him to turn aside, and as he turns aside, then God starts speaking. The confidence these men have when they get to Jerusalem, the star grabbed their attention. They were looking at it. They were watching it. They were saying, maybe, 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 maybe. They saw the, the June 17th, the sky fill, and I, I just believe they turned aside. And, and, and ask God, is this it? And I believe it was the Holy Spirit that said, this is it. Here's why I believe that. When they come, they didn't say, is there, is there a king of the Jews? They said, where is he? He's here. He, he has been, the level of confidence they have that the king of the Jews has been born is uh, there, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of where. And uh, 
This is, this is how it is when God speaks. It's very interesting because you read the exact language of Matthew 2 and it sounds like a fairy tale. Stars don't stop and they certainly don't stop over a... And it's, here's what it says. It says they came to Jerusalem, they asked, and they said it's Bethlehem and then they saw the star stop over where the child was. On December 25th, 2 BC, as seen from Jerusalem, Jupiter went into retrograde. It stopped. It would have, by the human eye, it would have seemed to have stopped directly over the little town of Bethlehem in the womb of Virgo, the constellation, which is the virgin. Stunning. Absolutely stunning what they have found out about the stars. How did they get to the house? Well, they asked. <laughs> they asked. The, the events around the birth, even though this is like 18 months later, 18 months after the birth that they come to the house, the events that happened in Bethlehem were talked about. People knew Joseph and Mary. People knew the story and would have easily pointed them to the house. Because I don't, I don't, I mean, even though the, in the movie, it looks like the star points right to the house. Of course, the movie has it pointing to the manger, and this isn't even the manger. This is a year, year and a half later. So this is why you don't make doctrine from movies. <laughs> Point two, the means God uses to speak. Nature. Here's, here's Psalm 91 or 19, 1 through 4a. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the earth or ends of the world. Huh? They don't speak, but they do speak. They have no sound, but they're declaring something. Get used to this. This is how God speaks. A few weeks ago, I, I came back for the evening service a little early. I came back at 4.30, and it was, it was during the golden hour. And I got out of my van, and I'm starting to walk in, and I look to the left, and the sky is is completely red. All the, there, there's, it's filled with clouds and the sun is picking up these clouds and there is this red haze that is so, it's just, it, it creates an ache inside of you. It's so beautiful. Geese are flying by in this picture and I notice on the other side of the parking lot, somebody else has pulled into the church parking lot and they've got a camera out. Somebody else is turning aside to see this and it's just, it's like, 
who is, who is this? Who is behind such beauty that doesn't push itself? It's just there. And, and if you're just going to your next thing, you miss it. You, it's right there for everybody to see, but it, you got to stop to see it. You got to stop to contemplate it. And it creates this, this ache for the one who created such beauty. Here's here's what Romans chapter 1, verse 20 says. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. This is why I love to pray outside. I like to go on a prayer walk every day because I just like to be out there. I like to see it. I like to, I like to see the birds. I like to see the, the grass and the trees and, and even the, the season of death where the, the leaves go down. And all of these things speak things. They just speak things about God and about who he is and about the, the way he operates. And, and this, this invisible being, God, has made things known about him by his creation. If we'll take time to contemplate. Here's what John Piper says. Wherever you see beauty, follow the beam up to original beauty. The, the, there is, it's everything that's beautiful is connected to something, to someone. They had, there was a concert last night uh, at the Coliseum Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith and Jordan Smith, and then the, the Madison Symphony Orchestra was behind them. And there were, night, there were times in the night that I just, I, I'm not a crier, but I just had, I found tears going down my face just because of the beauty of the music, the beauty of God's presence in the midst of it. And who is this God that has brought forth such beauty? Who is this God that is so amazing and yet so in some ways hidden, yet so in some ways revealed before us? Finding the voice of God through nature. Turn aside and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Contemplate, allow the eternity that God has placed in our hearts, that ache to come forth and worship him. The means God speaks, first nature, secondly, the scriptures. They come and they say, where is he? Where is the one that was born king of the Jews? And Herod says, I don't know. Let's get somebody to let's let's find somebody that knows what the Bible says. Herod has access to the scriptures. He just hasn't read them. He knows about the scriptures. He knows the scriptures exist. Maybe he even has a copy in his bedroom. Maybe it's right on his night table. But he doesn't know what they say. You want to know a burning bush today that's burning all the time? It's right here. The Word of God. 
the word of God. But you don't get anything out of it until you turn aside and actually open its pages. Here's Revelation 1.3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it. Because the time is near. God has spoken supernaturally. No prophecy is of man's own invention, but men inspired by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. They wrote it down. 66 books, one message. Difficult, yes. But there is a blessing in reading it. There's a blessing in bringing your own confusion about it to God, saying, I don't understand this. Or even saying, I don't like this. But it is really important that we pay attention to this burning bush. The idea that we're going to neglect this one and then God's going to speak to us in all these other ways, get that off the table. Get that off the table. God, the Bible says this is the one God esteems, the one who trembles at his word. You pay attention to this and I'll guarantee you God will not just speak from this. He'll speak in other ways too. He'll get you where you want him to go. God will go out of his way to speak to you if you will go out of your way to hear what he wants to speak. And it starts with this burning bush called the word of God. There is a temptation in the church. And I've talked about this before, to cherry pick this book and just take out the verse you like and put that one on the refrigerator. And that's our, that's our Christianity is just what we like in here. I was with a pastor this week and he, he was telling me about this, uh, this, the denomination he grew up, grew up in. And he said, we loved parts of the word of God. And we built our church over parts of the word of God. And that, those were really the only parts we talked about and the only parts we, we knew. And, and the key is to love the whole word of God. Even the parts you don't understand, even the parts that are still confusing to you, just because I don't understand it does not mean it's not true, and, and it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means I don't understand it yet, and I need, I need to walk with this a little longer. So I was interested. The Bible is a sign and a wonder. It's the bestseller every single year, even though it doesn't appear on bestseller uh, lists. But I was just interested. So I went to the last year that they've got documentation on how many Bibles were actually distributed and printed. Um, and and the, the, the last year they've got full information on is 2014. To give you an idea, I'm going to just give you the best-selling books in 2014. So here they are. The Fault in Our Stars by John Green sold 1.8 million. Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it was called The Long Haul, the second, it was the second in the series, 1.5 million. And then Divergent sold 1.4 million. These are all young adult, don't feel bad if you don't know these. Um, those were the best sellers. So 1.8 million, 1.5 million, 1.4 million. In that same year, 34 million Bibles were distributed. 34 million. But a lot of times, whole Bibles are not what's distributed. It's just the Gospel of John, or it's just the New Testament, or it's portions of Scripture. 
428 million scriptures were distributed that year. 34 million, but the bigger number is 428 million. And all that says is there's a lot of scripture out there. And all that says is we know this is a burning bush. This is a burning bush. I'm going to urge you, individually and us as a church, I use the one-year Bible. I use it every year, and here's why. It works for my personality. I, I like the order of it. I like getting up, knowing where I'm going to read. I don't have to. I just boom, boom, boom. I know that reading that way doesn't work for some people. Fine. Switch it up. (laughs) But I I am urging you, 2018, purpose in your heart now. I am going to be in the word of God. I'm going to certainly hear the word of God. I think it's fair to come and hear where the word of God's preached. That's what happened here. Herod didn't know the word, but he got them to people. And the wise men didn't know the word of God. They didn't know that part of the word of God. And so they came and heard somebody else share the word of God. That is honoring the word of God. It's honoring the word of God that you're here at church today. But I'm I'm going to encourage you to... to step up, to step up and get into this word. If it's your first time, I would, I would urge you to start with the New Testament. You read the New Testament a couple times before you start tackling the Old Testament because, yeah, just, just do it. I don't see you getting past Exodus in the Old Testament. Maybe, maybe a little into Leviticus, but... Usually the building of the tabernacle wears you out. So, (laughs) Nature, God speaks through nature. He speaks in the scriptures. And then thirdly, he speaks in your life. Hosea 2, 14 through 16. They're not going to have this up there. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor, which is weeping. I will make the valley of weeping a door of hope. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. The reality of the wilderness is that it's very harsh. No one chooses to be in a wilderness. It feels like you're all alone when you're in a wilderness. And there's all kinds of wildernesses. There's, there's social wildernesses. There's physical wildernesses where you're sick. There's financial wildernesses where you can't seem to pay the bills. You're behind. There are spiritual wildernesses where you just feel empty. You have no idea where God went. You're doing all your stuff, but God is far. And this, this wilderness experience is a very hard time. It's a very difficult time. It's a very... The wilderness is harsh. It is a harsh place. And it's very easy to make a jump when you're in the wilderness. Because my life is so harsh, God must be harsh. 
Because this unthinkable thing happened that is so difficult, this death happened, this, this uh, rape happened, this, this just unspeakably difficult, horrible thing happened, and God allowed it in his universe, and his, he's supposed to be in charge, therefore God is harsh. And the Lord says, I have allured you into the wilderness to reveal to you my tenderness. The reason why you're out there is so that you will understand my goodness. I don't know, I don't know why there has to be a wilderness. Why can't God just speak to us when things are good? Has anybody know, noticed that your listening is amplified when you're in the wilderness? That when things are all good, we don't really take a lot of time to even think about things. We're just glad they're going good. We're just, we usually just get some more plates spinning when everything's good. Because <laughs> we feel capacity. We feel like everything's good, everything's flowing. And there's something about when things are hard, when things are difficult, that we become a little more reflective and we're more open to what God might speak. And it says this, that he's going to make the valley of weeping a door of hope. The very place where you wept, where it was, it was real enough that you wept. In that place, God will give Real hope, not some platitudes, not cliches. He'll give you real hope, and you will actually be a door of hope for other people. It, folks, it's not just about us. There's a whole world out there that needs Jesus Christ. There's a whole world out there committing suicide, cutting themselves, taking pills to get to bed, other pills to get up. We live in a despairing society in the midst of all the prosperity of America. Stock market's never been higher. Despair has never been higher. When people oftentimes, when they think of the church, they think of just fake <laughs> Think of positive platitudes, cliches, not real life. And God takes the harshness of real life and he reveals himself in his tenderness there. There's nothing more true than the bumper sticker that says life is hard but God is good. A few years ago, we were at, uh, Alice and I were at our national convention, and uh, we were, it was the last day, and there were, there were the leaders of that region were up front, and you could come and get prayed for, and I want, we, I really wanted to get prayed for by Dan, Dan Hammer. Dan is a known prophet. He's brought prophetic words to me in the past, and so we waited for his line, and I just happened to be there, so I got to hear his words over all of these pastors and all of these churches, and he got to me and Alice, and he said something. It's not like what he was saying was the same thing he was saying over other churches. We were the only church that he said this about. We were the only ones, and here's what he said. Puts his hand on me and Alice. He says, this is, this is the word of the Lord for City Church. He said, I see waves 
after wave of the goodness of God coming over City Church and through City Church. That God is, God is going to use his kindness. He's going to reveal his kindness. How many know that his kindness leads us to repentance? It's really important that we grasp that God's strategy is often different than ours. And a lot of times what our strategy would be for Madison would be judgment. Madison deserves judgment. The judgment of God. Madison deserves a spanking. I'm not saying it doesn't. But I believe God wants to use his goodness. Why, why would God use his goodness? I, I just think it's because it's absolutely opposite what most people think God would do. Most people that have just a, they think of God as mean and vindictive and they read the Bible and that's why they don't go to church. It's just a bunch of hypocrites and it's just mean, mean, mean. And God's like, I'm not, I'm not like that. I've been misrepresented. First Kings 19, we have the story of Elijah. And Elijah, he's just, he's huffing with judgment. He has, he has called fire down. He's killed the prophets of Baal. And, and then he finds out that Jezebel and Ahab have been left untouched and they're still doing their thing. And he, he just, he wants judgment to come. He wants this, this righteousness to come. And he is frustrated that God is not doing more in judgment. And so he goes to this cave and he says, take my life, I'm done. I'm doing a lot. You're not doing much. I'm the only one left. And God says, Elijah, it's time for you to have a time out. He says, I want you to go out. I'll read it to you. First Kings 19, 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Just go out there and Wait. Listen to what happens. God says, I, I myself am going to pass by. Listen to what happens. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. How did God communicate? He rips the mountain apart and he says this to Elijah, that's not me. After the wind, there was an earthquake. This, this is the very stuff Elijah wants. Shake this thing, God. Use your power. There's an earthquake. And God says, I'm not in that earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. So God comes. This is Elijah's wilderness. This is his time that he's despairing. He's been a great prophet. He's been used. But he's just frustrated. He's done. He's gone into the wilderness. God didn't send him there, but God followed him there. He's in this cave. He feels like he's done. And then he encounters the tenderness of God in the wilderness. I will speak 
tenderly to you there. The place of weeping is going to be a door of hope. And then God says this, in that day that you encounter my tenderness, it's going to change everything. You're no longer going to call me master. You're going to call me husband. It's going to change how you see me. It's going to change how you see yourself. And that one tender whisper, Elijah is so fundamentally changed that God says, now, leave the, leave the cave and go out and anoint a few people. And Elijah doesn't just go on. He finishes probably better than anybody could finish. He, he doesn't even die. He's just taken up right to heaven. He finishes his ministry and he's raptured. Maybe you're here today and if you had to locate yourself, you would say, I'm in the cave. I'm in the cave. And maybe you're, you're mad in the cave. You're mad at your family. You're mad at God. You're mad at life. Things haven't worked the way you thought they would, and there you are, and you're in the cave, and you're just like, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just done. Well, God just set you up. He wants to reveal his tenderness to you today. Finally, becoming part of God's voice. John the Baptist called himself a voice crying in the wilderness. John said, you want to know who I am? Because they're like, are you Elijah? Are you the Messiah? Who are you? John said, here's who I am. I'm a voice of one who's crying in the wilderness. The one crying in the wilderness is God. God is speaking. And he says, I am providing a voice for God. And he's speaking through me. And John did no miracles, yet Hundreds of thousands. Josephus says two million came out to hear John. I mean, it was was a massive revival. Not because of miracles, but because it was recognized that God is speaking. Sometimes, in the church, we hear echoes more than we hear voices. Echoes of what somebody else said. I think that was what was so striking about John. (laughs) They had been used to hearing what what other people would quote of other people, other people, and no one seemed to have that direct connection. And he was not an echo. He was a voice. This was God speaking. Now it says, speaking in the wilderness. Sometimes the way you find your voice is in the wilderness. Sometimes it's, it's when you've encountered God that now you actually have something to say that's, that's fresh, that's real. Has there ever been a, 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 a day in which there are more, let me just comment on today, there are more words today than ever with less meaning than ever. Is it, is, are, are we together on this? There has been a proliferation of words because of the internet, Facebook, the, all of the words, 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 opinions, 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 opinions. If there's ever been a day 
where we need a voice and not just an echo of what other people are saying. It's today. And I just, I just believe God is calling us. He's wakening our ears to hear the word that will sustain the weary. Isaiah 54. These men that came from the east speak to us today. They, they turned aside. They, they saw the stars. They, they asked God, what is it saying? They turned aside. And then they went on this journey to find him. This journey, that, this passionate journey, whatever it costs, we, we want to participate in the adventure of God in our day, in our hour. And these men that took this long journey and come to the religious group that's not even willing to go down to Bethlehem, they, they are, they speak to us today, don't they? They speak to us of people that are hungry for God, maybe more hungry than we are right now. This morning's one-year Bible was the, the word to Ephesus from Jesus himself, the one with fire in his eyes was this, remember from where you've fallen. Remember first love. Remember, remember the times when you sought me. Remember the times when there was a fire burning and just repent, I'll bring you back there. Just own it, own that you're not where you were. I will restore it. I've got fresh oil. I've got fresh fire. I've got zeal enough for everybody in my church. They brought their gold in worship. They brought their incense in worship and they brought their myrrh in worship. Their worship was real. Gold represents our resources. They, they, they brought something that was real in everyday life. Gold's how you got by. It's how you paid your bills. They brought resources. They brought incense. Incense speaks of the, we're, we're a kingdom of priests. It's, it speaks about our prayer life. It says our prayers rise as incense before God. We, they give, we give God our communication. We give God our fellowship. That's the priestly gift that we give him. We take our place with confidence. He's, he's shed blood so we draw near and we, we give him our hearts. We give him our fellowship. We tell him what's wrong. We tell him our pains. We tell him honestly who we're mad at. We give him that as priests. And then of course the third gift it's, is the hardest one. It's myrrh. It's a, it's a death spice. We give him as worship death to our own independence to our own righteousness, our own way, our own thoughts, our own what we want to happen. And we, we bring him our death and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. God, I've got a few opinions of what you should do, and I'm going to tell you about them in prayer, but your will be done. I'm not the center. You are. These men and their worship speak to us today. And here's the interesting thing, especially after Judy's word about us going back to our families and, and being God's light there, is that we are the stars today that say he was born. Listen to Philippians 2, 12 through 16a. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, 
For it is God who works in you to will and to act according in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So uh, when we were in China, uh, Warren Keeproth, who's the director of the YWAM base here, and Warren and Gail are the ones that planted this base in China. Um, we, I did a number of things, but one of the things that was most meaningful is Warren, every night we went to eat somewhere, and he would have a different staff person come with us. We would eat together, and then Warren would just say to them, tell your story. Just tell your story to Tom. And there was this one girl, she stood about this high. Her name, her name is Debbie. And when I say her name is Debbie, I mean that's the name she told me to call her. She told me her name in Chinese, even the English version of her Chinese name. And she says, why don't you call me Debbie? So for our purposes, Debbie. She came from a, a very intellectual, very... Uh, materialistic family. No one in her entire family line is there any trace of any Christianity. And she is brought up in this, brought up in the best schools, brought up to think, brought up if, with uh, evolution is the answer to everything and randomness and there is no God. And, um, and she's fully in. She's, she's not rebelling against that. She, she's all in. It's logical to her. The whole thing makes sense. And, um, but there are some Christians in her city, in her class that she knows about, and they are so nice to her, and they invite her to come to their meeting. And so she, she goes to this meeting, and talks with them and stuff, and, and argues with them, and still is convinced that she's right, but she's, she doesn't know why, but she keeps going back to these meetings. And finally... It strikes her. Here's, here, here's what she said was her moment. These people look different than everybody else in my acquaintance. There is something on their face that is different. And it's not just one of them. It's every one of them. They look Different. There's something there that has changed them that has to be true, even though I can't figure it out in this little thing. There's evidence, there's, there's something true. And so she started going after God, no longer trying to criticize and trying to figure out what's wrong, but to find out what's true. And she became converted, became a missionary now. And here is the funny thing. You see this little Chinese lady, and she is a star. Her face just lights up. Everywhere she goes, you just, you just want whatever this young lady has. Do you see why it's so important for us that name the name of Christ to actually be engaged and be seeking him. 
our faces are the stars now that say that Jesus is more. We're the ones that cause people to turn aside. We're the burning bush. We're the witnesses. They're not reading the Bible, are they? They're not looking at the stars and saying, I wonder if God... But they see us, and even if they disagree with us, even if they don't like us, even if they're kicking against us, when we continue to love them, when we continue to forgive them, when we continue... Though none go with me, still I will follow. And we stay in this path of Jesus. There is something different from this world. And I will challenge you. The people of this world are looking for something different. What is going on in America is not working. It's not working. Anybody that's taking 20 pills a day knows that something's not working. Anybody that watches a sitcom on TV is like, really? Is that it? Is that what we've been reduced to? If we could have, just for a moment, every head bowed and every eye closed, I, I want to pray for two groups of people. The first group is... is you feel like somehow God brought you here today, that you are in a wilderness. Maybe that is the reason why you are even here today. But you have been looking for something true, something real, something that satisfies beyond this world that has left you empty. Jesus says these words, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, anyone, doesn't matter what your background was, doesn't matter what your sins are, it does, if anyone hears my voice, hears my knock, and opens the door, I will come in to them. I will sup with them, which is the, the word they use for the intimate meal of the day. I will come in. I want to fellowship with you. And if that is you, you may, you probably can't explain how you know God's knocking because it's not like you're hearing a visible, audible knock. It's just you know somehow God is knocking on your life and he's brought you to this moment. He, he won't push the door down, but he can knock pretty loud. And, and today you want to open the door. You want to open the door to God. You want to open the door to Jesus, to what he's done for you on the cross. And you want to invite him to come in. It's between you and God. That's why we've got heads bowed and eyes closed. But somebody help me find the words to open my door. So I like to help other people. So if that is you, uh, would you just... Would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? I see that hand over there. God bless you. I'm looking around. Any other hands? You, you, God's knocking today. I see that hand up in the balcony. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? Jesus is knocking right now. And you want to open the door. Got you, bro. God bless you. Could those that raise their hands... Maybe you wanted to raise your hand, but you didn't. Just put your hand over your heart right now. Pray something like this to the Lord. Lord, you found me today. (laughs) 
I don't even know how you found me, but you found me. You, you, this was for me today. And that all I can say is you're knocking on my life right now. You are asking. Lord, I want to say yes. I want to open my door, whatever that looks like. And so right now, Jesus, by faith, I open my door. I ask you to come in. Save me, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. I receive, even near Christmas, the greatest gift of all, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ. I receive it by faith right now. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? Instead of separating this one out between people that feel like they're shining or not shining, I don't know that any of us know how much we're shining anyway. All I know is that we could all shine a little more. So if you're a Christian here, would you just close your eyes and open your arms like this? And just, we call this the receive position. And when I think of shining, when I think of Debbie seeing these Christians shining, and, and now today she's shining, I think of. 2 Corinthians 3 where it says that we with unveiled faces now behold him and as we behold him even as we behold him not perfectly but as in a mirror as in a brass mirror every glimpse transforms us from glory to greater glory that that Shekinah glory of God that came in us through the Holy Spirit when we were saved, that there, it was never to be a one-time thing, that there was to be increasing glory, that we would be increasingly less of our, our stuff and our will and our power and more and more, God, of your will and your power and your glory resting on us. Lord, this world needs you, and because this world needs you so badly, this world needs us. Lord, would you take our weeping, speak to us tenderly, and make us a door of hope? Lord, would you take the harsh reality of things that have happened in our lives and might still be happening every day that are just harsh and not help us to not interpret them as that you are harsh? and unfeeling and uncaring because nothing could be farther from the truth. Jesus, speak tenderly to us and help us to know you as more than master that commands us. Help us to know you as husband that we are passionately in love with. We bring you today our gold, our incense, and our myrrh. And we say, Jesus, you are the king and you are worthy. You are worthy of our lives. Help us shine. And Lord, draw people. Even this Christmas, draw people. People that are in the wilderness right now, people that are out there right now, could we be, could they be more open? Because they've been in the wilderness. Lord, for those that we're frustrated with because their life just seems to be perfect. Lord, give us patience for the time that they go into the wilderness and then they'll be looking for something more. Thank you for drawing all people to yourself through Christ. 
In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We'll have some ministry teams up here if you'd like more prayer. Bless you.